Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Cosmopolitan's All The Way With. I'm Paisley Gilmore. And I'm Laura Capon. And this week we'll be joined by Karen, a sex therapist. I'm so excited. I'm a big Karen stan. Of course you are. Um, (laughs) How have you met Karen before? We'll get into that, but I'm just intrigued. Um, I've read her book and followed her on social media and messaged her on Instagram like a fan girl because I think she's great. I'm excited for you to meet her. Proper Stan. Yeah. Um, So how have you been finding lockdown, Paisley? Because I know you've just gone through a breakup and, I mean, couldn't be a worse time, to be honest. Well, she just went straight in there, didn't she? (laughs) Um, Just rip off the plaster. Yeah, why not? Actually, Laura, I think that it's the perfect time for a breakup because I've just had loads of time to myself, which is A, my dream, and B, just kind of what you need after a breakup. Like, I've been reading... I've been like doing things for myself again and it's been quite a nice way to rediscover who I am on my own. <laughs> You've changed. I know. This is like um in Crossroads, the Britney film, where she discovers herself. Oh my god, I'm not a girl. <laughs> not yet a not woman. Yet a woman. <laughs> it's so true. Okay, well that's good though, that you haven't been kind yeah. of moping and Oh, I'm not a moper. Oh, you're not? I thought you... Um, Because I've been thinking about, like, should I get back on, like, the dating apps and stuff? But then, I mean, I wanted to know what you thought about this. All of the the whole bloody video dating thing that all my single friends are doing, personally, I I can't be asked. What do you think? Same. But I've got this FOMO. Well, not it's not a FOMO. It's a fear. So it's a fear that everyone is doing um, Zoom dates, and I'm not. (laughs) But equally, I am sick to death of video calls. Like, I'm oh. sick of them. So the idea of doing a video call with someone I don't know, um, like, the other day I was checking my hinge, <laughs> and this message just really made me laugh. It was from this guy, and it just said, hope you're keep keeping well during this crisis. <laughs> and then it just seems like, I don't know, like, it's weird to say inappropriate, like, how else do you message? But it's like, yeah, we're in a crisis. I don't think my hinge is something I need to think about right now. I feel exactly the same and also like my housemates are dating and they're saying they don't know what to say to these people because the people will be like what you've been up to and their response is nothing because this is what I keep saying to people we're now with our kind of jobs I feel like we've lost our fake life you know where (laughs) you have this glamorous life no I'm in my parents house doing nothing this is my real life no one wants to know about that no nobody does that's really true. Um, but I feel like we should take it as a nice break from it. Do you know what I mean? Break from the relentlessness. No, I feel the same. I was feeling so burnt out with like socialising anyway. 
and this is a good excuse to not speak to people (laughs) (laughs) although I did think I had that also the fear of like when we come out I have Mm. like no choice but to go on dates because it'll always be that well if you don't only live once this is so do you know what I've just realized we can go to dating events together now oh I don't know if that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) like I've spend enough time with you as it is oh we're both so judgy we would just be in the corner like thora birch and scarlett johansson ghost world so to be honest paisley i think it's better that we've got a sex therapist on today to help us rather than helping each other (laughs) the rejection fine bring on the guest (laughs) (laughs) we're joined today by dr karen gurney a clinical psychologist and psychosexologist karen's new book mind the gap the truth about desire and how to future-proof your sex life, um, completely changed the way I think about sex. In it, she explains why everything we think we know about our sex drives is wrong, why the gendered sexual stereotypes we believe need to be questioned, and why, however much or little sex we have, we're all totally normal. So, hi, Karen. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being with us under the duvet. It's a real um, pleasure. As a sex nerd, this is like you're my celeb, my ultimate celeb. <laughs> this is praise indeed. Thank you. There's nothing coming from me. Um, can so, I just ask? Oh, in she I goes. Mean, straight away. My, uh, I just imagine you like Gillian Anderson in the Sex Education. That's is exactly that what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Given we've never actually met in the flesh, you can hold on to that idea. That is exactly what I'm like. It's funny, actually. I. I get that comparison a lot at the moment, which is a wonderful comparison. I mean, how flattering. She's an absolute icon, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Oh, obsessed with her. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I love her. I love that show. Do you think it depicts your job quite well? I think it does, actually, because she's, she's you know, she's pretty kind of forward thinking. She's quite unshockable. She, what she doesn't do, which is great, because sometimes you see this on TV when you see therapy portrayed, she doesn't do much kind of breaking of the boundaries of confidentiality, <laughs> which you do see a lot sometimes. Um, and yeah, she does. And she holds, you know, vagina workshops, which I do as well. So Ooh. that's great. And as well as doing her individual sex therapy. No, I think absolutely it's a good portrayal. Okay, good. Oh, I'm impressed um, with myself there. Sorry, <laughs> well into, done, into the proper questions. <laughs> <laughs> what are the most common reasons that um, women will come to see you? Mm, so the, the two most common reasons, and this is actually the same for pretty much all people doing therapy and sex therapy um, in this field, is painful sex. So usually pain around penetration, but not always around penetration. So that's things like vaginismus and vulvodynia Mm -hmm. and concerns about sexual desire, usually concerns that desire is too low or just that it's very different from a partner's. And that's absolutely the two key reasons. And is that something you see a lot, um, women that have a very low or no sex drive? Yeah, so it's actually the most common sexual problem in the UK. So around about 34% of women in the UK feel that they lack interest in sex in a way that's lasted, you know, three months or more in the past year. So it's really common. And that's partly why I wrote the book, because it's so common. But actually, um, firstly, it's something that lots of people experience. And secondly, it's something that's really easy to resolve. Um, So I just see kind of woman after woman, 
um, with their partners, sometimes on their own, but mostly with partners concerned about the amount of sex they're feeling like. And I thought, why am I doing this individually time and time again? Why am I, you know, seeing people on their own or with a partner in sex therapy, having similar conversations when actually the change that needs to happen is in helping people understand this outside of the therapy room. You know, we need yeah. to see it differently as a society. We need to change how we understand it because if we did that, those people wouldn't need to come and see me in the first place. You know, it's not a problem with them. They're not broken. Their relationships aren't broken. It's just the way they understand desire is incorrect. And we've all been led to believe that desire works in this way and it actually doesn't. So, yeah, it's we, super common. Is it because we have like a romanticized idea in our heads of desire? Um, partly, yes, based on how we often experience desire when we first meet someone. So, you know, in the first kind of year or so of a relationship, we tend to experience lots and lots of spontaneous desire. And sometimes people kind of compare later relationship stages back to that time. And say, oh, I wish it could be like that. I wish it was like it was in the beginning. Or, you know, we had loads of sex in the beginning. People say that a lot. And the reality is, is that things change with people's sex lives over time. And they don't need to change for the worst, but they change. And so sometimes it is the comparison of that. But more often, it's the fact that the uh, way in which we started to understand desire in kind of sexology and sex research in the, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, was really based on a male model of desire. And what happened, yeah, <laughs> uh, as what often happens in science and research and just life in general, is that what fits for men kind of got extrapolated to what fits for women without any real question about whether that was the case. So this idea of how desire works, that, you know, you should feel like sex, often out of the blue, was really based on what men were observed to do. And, you know, we could talk about men in a separate conversation, but actually lots of men don't feel that either. So this idea that we should feel like sex often, um, we should feel like having sex with a partner that we've been with for a long time, out of the blue in all kinds of circumstances, this is something that actually we only discovered later on in sex research in like the late uh, kind of two, 2000s that desire doesn't actually work that way for women and that most women in a long-term relationship might never experience any spontaneous desire. They might always need to trigger desire after they've been with their partner for a while and that that is completely normal and not in itself a sexual problem. So... So, yeah, it's partly about the way in which we've understood sex research and the fact that sex research hasn't really fitted for women. And when you think about that and you look at the way in which we often run our lives and relationships, there's a lot of people, and these are a lot of the people that come and see me and there are a lot of our, you know, all of us here, a lot of our friends, a lot of people in society are just kind of sat waiting to feel like desire because that's the idea they've been sold that they should just feel like it. And that's not happening for them. So for that reason, they feel broken when they're not. So when you say, like, for most of us, most of the time, you need to trigger your desire, how do you yes. go about that? Because I've definitely felt in relationships, like, why am I not feeling sexual? And I expect it to happen out of the blue. So yeah. part of that, that early understanding of desire I talked about 
uh, was that we believed that you first have to feel like it in your head. That's desire, isn't it? The kind of idea of wanting to be sexual. And then you act on that desire by doing something sexual. And then after that, your body responds with what we think of as arousal. So, you know, like increased blood flow to the genitals, getting wet, increased heart rate, erections, those types of things. But what we actually now know is that desire is often triggered by arousal. So arousal comes first. Mm -hmm. What that means is that we need to first have situations in front of us which trigger our arousal. So a good example of that is a passionate kiss or, you know, the sight of somebody's naked body or being, um, being naked and being touched by another person. Those types of things we know trigger desire. But what happens if we wait for desire to occur out of the blue is uh, we don't have those triggers. So there's nothing to kickstart it. So again, it's partly how we've been sold an idea that the psychological bit, the feeling like wanting it should come first. So triggering it involves things like a passionate kiss or could it be like reading erotica or like watching porn or? Could be all of those things. Um, and it could be about fantasizing. It could be about talking about sex with someone. It could be a hot sex scene on TV. And actually one of the ways, you know, I often talk with women when I see them in clinic around figuring out whether there's a problem with their desire or not is by asking them what happens if they watch a good sex scene on TV or they, you know, read a, a, a good sex scene in a book. Do they notice those signs of, you know, physical arousal? And they often say, yes, actually I do. And that's a desire, uh, sorry, a sign that your desire is working just fine. If you notice those physical changes when you see a good sex scene on TV or when you watch porn that you enjoy watching, then actually your desire, your desire is working just the way it should. So do you tell your patients to like schedule that in? Because I just imagine if you don't feel like you have that desire, like if I didn't feel like I was in the mood, I then wouldn't be in the mood to like Paisley says, read erotica <laughs> or like <laughs> yeah. have a passionate kiss. You know, it's like, I, I, but then equally is that kind of, un, I'm using quote marks, unsexy, then scheduling that in, like passionate kiss that for. Yeah. So it's useful to think about what motivates us to have sex generally. And because we are socialized to think that it's desire that motivates us to have sex, we um, were often waiting to feel like it and feeling like that should be our motivation, you know, feeling a kind of um, a huge amount of lust for a partner. But actually, there are 237 documented reasons why humans are motivated to have sex, and many of them aren't actually desire. So things like wanting to um, feel close to someone, uh, wanting stress relief, wanting to feel alive... Uh, you know, to express your sexuality, to um, to have a bit of excitement because you're bored, to make up. There can be so many reasons why people are motivated to be sexual. And so the first thing is, it's worth people thinking about what are the things that motivate them to be sexual. And for a lot of people, especially a lot of women in long-term relationships, it's potentially unlikely to be desire that's your motivator it might be sometimes of course and it might be if you're not on hormonal contraception there's certain times of the month where you do feel more of that as well but it's likely to be other things that motivate you and so if you think about what motivates you by reflecting on you know the last couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years of your sex life with other people there might be a few key things that you notice time and time again are often triggers for you to instigate or 
um, be happy to follow someone else's lead for sex. And if you think about those things, you don't actually need to feel like it from the outset. You just need to be motivated to feel those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if one of the things that you get from sex, one of the things that motivates you to do it is about feeling, um, feeling desired by another person, then you don't need to feel sexual before you instigate something. The, the feeling sexual will be triggered by doing it. Okay, no, that makes sense to me. I know our listeners, uh, well, readers, Cosmo readers anyway, I know um, often get um, bogged down in worrying about like, are we having enough sex? How much sex is everyone else having? What's like normal? Is there yes. an answer to that <laughs> concern? There is a really quick answer and there's also a bit of a medium answer. So I'll give you both. <laughs> the really quick answer is that there is an average amount for people in the UK um, and it's a lot less than people think. So when I ask people in therapy how often they feel they should be having sex, they often say about three times a week. I don't know where people get that <laughs> idea from, but it's a really constant idea that people have. The reality is people have sex a little less or around about once a week in the UK. Um, and people in certain age ranges, um, the kind of 30 to 40s age ranges, tend to have sex less than that, more like twice a month. So the quick answer is yes, there is an average. But the medium answer is that frequency is a total red herring. And it actually doesn't matter how much sex you're having because... I see people who are having sex every other day, but the sex they're having is miserable and not very pleasurable mm. and something that they don't get much joy from. And all that's doing is dampening their desire over time. And I see people who have sex, you know, once every six months and have the best sex of their lives. And for those people, that amount works perfectly well for them. So I think frequency is not something to worry about. What is useful to think about is... Those motivations that we talked about, do you get those from the sex that you're having? So if you if you desire sex to feel close to another person, do you feel close to them afterwards? Um, and do you get pleasure from the sex that you're having? And is that pleasure equal to the other person's or not? So those would be the questions I'd be more interested to ask of people rather than frequency. Yeah, it's, it's something people just seem to be obsessed with because I guess that's how people talk about it, isn't it? Like, oh, how often are you having sex with your partner? Oh, they, they are. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's cuz it's <laughs> I think it's cuz it's more quantifiable mm -hmm. as well. It's something that's quite easy to for people to to count and recount. So, you know, it's it's not as common for people to ask each other, you know, how many orgasms do you have with a partner or, you know, how much when you're having sex with somebody do you forget the world around you and feel like you completely go to another place versus how much are you completely in your head obsessing about what your thighs look like those yeah. those questions are much more a measure of how much we're enjoying and absorbed in the sex that we're having but they're much harder questions to ask and to answer I think so I think that's where frequency kind of gets so much airtime. I'm definitely going to start asking my friends that now do do tell me what they say oh, sorry laurie you're first up when we're not recording <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah i'm having none right now i'm telling you that for sure <laughs> what well, right now at this moment <laughs> i'm pleased to hear it and in the moments before that would be after. quite distracting <laughs> um is that something i know you said about how um women like worrying about their thighs or how they look is that something that you can kind of overcome because 
I I get what you say that if you're really enjoying sex, you shouldn't be worrying about that. But I still think for me, and I know for so many other women, that is a big, I guess, inhibitor to them actually having sex in the first place. Do you know what I mean? That fear. Absolutely. And it's the number one distractor for women, actually, concerns about body image. It's the number one thing that goes through women's minds during sex that disrupts their sexual response. Because, you know, I was talking earlier about how uh, that physical arousal process is really important to desire. Yeah. And what I didn't say, because, you know, I could waffle on about the science for forever because <laughs> I'm such a sex geek. But what I didn't say is that arousal is actually something that is fairly automatic for us as humans, something we share with other other animals, that kind of um, physical response to sexual stimuli, like, um, na- like, like seeing a naked body or watching other people have sex. But the thing that humans have in spades, which is slightly problematic, is a really complex cognitive brain. So the ability to think and worry and project into the future and remember the past and to have a kind of complete running in in a monologue about what's going on and what happens is those two things compete against each other so if your mind is totally focused on that naked body in front of you and what you're appreciating visually about it then your arousal and your sexual response and by that I mean your desire your orgasms the sensations of touch tend to be higher but what happens when that arousal is um, is being competed for by our attention when our attention is distracted by thoughts such as, do they think I'm any good at this? What do I look like from that angle? Oh no, they're going to see X, Y, Z, whatever it might be, is that tur- that turns down our arousal response and therefore turns down our sexual function. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In that way, that's how what happens with sex is totally dependent on what's going on with our brains. And the good news is that there's so much that we can do about that. 
So in the book, I talk about, you know, there's a a whole chapter on how your brain works in relation to sex and what you can do about it. And to summarize, there are kind of two, two key things. One of them is outside of sex, we have to tackle all of those messages that negatively influence us. And, you know, things like curating your social media feed to see more kind of um, body positive or diverse body representations is a good example of how you might do that. Because we're also bombarded, aren't we, with ideal ideas of the perfect body. And yeah, I'm such a believer in that. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? And the mm. more we do that outside of sex, the less we're affected by that in sex. So that's really important. The other thing that we can do is work on building our skills of honing our attention. So everyone's heard of mindfulness because it's really popular right now. Mindfulness is essentially people getting really good at moving their attention where they want it rather than where they don't want it. And mindfulness has shown to be brilliant uh, for sex. It's super, super effective at increasing our sexual response, increasing arousal, increasing the number of orgasms people have, increasing desire and reducing pain. So it's absolutely a game changer when it comes to sex. I talk about how to do it in the book, but we also do a kind of um, downloadable online workshops on how to do this. It's called Train Your Brain for Better Sex so that people can start a program really of building up from no mindfulness skills to understanding exactly how it works and then training themselves so that when they're having sex with another person, they might notice those thoughts happening, but can quickly bring themselves back to what's happening in the moment, the sexual uh, aspect of what's going on and move away from being preoccupied with what their thighs look like. And we know when people do that, they tend to have a much better sexual response. That was such a good answer. It was a long answer, sorry. (laughs) I'm going to download a mindfulness app now, Laura. Immediately. Well, not immediately, but after she's over. (laughs) And and start using it outside of sex first. And then usually what I recommend people do is bring it into masturbation first. um, And then start to, once you feel really skilled at that, then bring it into sex with a partner. I was wondering, Karen, because obviously, like, there's a pandemic, right? And yes. that must be really affecting people's sex lives. Like last week, Laura and I were talking and we were saying neither of us have masturbated or wanted to masturbate for weeks because we feel so anxious. Like, yes, is that a common reaction to stuff like this going on? Because some of my friends are saying the pandemic's making them even hornier than normal and they're having sex and wanking all the time. They're yeah, like, there's, a, there's a real <laughs> yeah. split, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Are we normal? I'm so fascinated by this. And I did a a poll on my Insta about it recently because I was getting a lot of DMs from people saying exactly that, that it was going one of two ways. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like 60% of people were saying that their their sex drive had reduced Mm. and about 35% were saying that it had gone up and some of them dramatically so. And then the other 6% or whatever were saying that there was no change. So it's definitely changing for people in both of those two directions. Mm-hmm. And there are very good reasons for that, which is that um, one of the things we talked about before was around how desire works. And we know that desire is negatively impacted for a lot of people by stress. Mm-hmm. And of course, a pandemic is stressful, whether you feel like you're coping with it well or whether you don't for all of us it's stressful because it brings with it such a change of our normal day-to-day lives and our our usual coping strategies perhaps might not be available to us and we are spending more time in the same environment and all that type of stuff so so for a lot of people that's the reason why 
they're not feeling like it at all because the current situation is dampening their their sex drives, making them not feel like it. Mm -hmm. But equally, for some people, the opposite happens. And that's partly because, you know, we were talking earlier about motivations for being sexual. For some people, sex is a really good way of managing their stress levels. And that's one of their motivators. When they feel stressed, they feel the urge to have sex. And of course, when you have sex and when you have good sex, and of course, this is the same with masturbation because it it all produces, hopefully, the same end goal of orgasm. Orgasms bring with them um, a whole raft of, of um chemicals, neurochemicals that reduce our circulating stress hormones. So it's a really good way to calm us down, to make us feel relaxed. And so for a lot of people, their sex drive has gone up because their desire to relieve their stress using sex or masturbation is is more present than it's ever been. And also the reinforcement they get from that works So, you know, they're feeling stressed, they have a wank and they feel more relaxed. And so that works for them as a a mechanism to manage the current situation. And that's why we're seeing this split in both directions. But the ones who are wanking are the ones who are better off, really, aren't they? (laughs) Well, me. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, look at it. I mean, what they they are getting is uh, an instant way of calming themselves down and they're getting all the feel-good endorphins and they're getting a sense of satisfaction from that. The Mm. other people, it's okay as long as they've got another way to get those things. Mm. And of course, there are many other ways that we get a sense of satisfaction and we can feel good. It doesn't need to be from sex or wanking, but as long as you're getting it, that's the main yeah. thing. As long as you've got a way to manage your stress and as long as you've, uh, you've got a way to, to make yourself feel good, then uh, it doesn't matter if you're not feeling like it at all at the moment. It's perfectly normal. Well, Laura, you've got your tie-dye, your jigsaw <laughs> puzzles. <laughs> yeah, I've just taken out various crafts. Well, there you so, go. Crafts are good, keep, aren't they? That's keeping my yeah. hands occupied. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you said about how it's really common for women to come in um, and say they don't find they don't want to have sex with their partners anymore. And you said that's not necessarily a problem with their relationship. Yes. When would it be, though? We must start from a position first off of um, understanding that if um, if you never feel like sex ever out of the blue, there is zero wrong with you. We must start off from that position. Yeah. That's an important thing because the research tells us that that's quite normal. Um, we might start to worry about it more if when you try and trigger your own arousal and desire, it isn't able to be triggered. It's very, very uncommon for, I mean, I, it's something I rarely never see and I've been doing this job for about 17 years. It's very uncommon um, to see somebody who has a biological problem with their uh, desire. It just doesn't really happen. Desire is so context specific that it's usually something that's happening for them in the rest of their life or relationship that's getting in the way if they can't trigger it. So the first thing is, if you don't feel like it ever, that's not a problem. The second thing is, can it be triggered? Try that on your own first, because when there's no pressure from someone else, desire usually works much better. If it can't be triggered with the partner, for example, then it may be that your attraction for them on your uh, 
sexual feelings towards them have changed because that happens in relationships sometimes and it really sucks but it does happen and that's the one thing that as sex therapists we can't change um I wish we could because lots of people do come and see us and say I'm no longer attracted to my partner and I never want to have sex with them can you help me change that and unfortunately that's often not something that we can change but saying that it is really common for people to interpret their lack of spontaneous desire as a lack of attraction and that's not necessarily true and it's also common for people to get into habits of seeing their partner as a very non-sexual person because they're not having much sex or because they're not relating to each other sexually ever so what I mean by that is you know I often see couples who have started to see their partner as you know if they're say if they're a same-sex couple as kind of sister and sister or uh, opposite sex couple as brother and sister and that can feel like a lack of attraction when actually what it is is a lack of sexual connection being played out between the two of you and so the ways in which you relate to each other most of the day or most of the week tend to be in this kind of friendship way or in a housemate way, or sometimes in a co-parent way. And you lose that opportunity to see them as a sexual person, which in turn can make them feel less sexually attractive to you. So sometimes it's worth people trying to reinstate that a little bit, just by trying to bring back um, flirtation, trying to bring back passionate kisses, trying to carve out some time in their daily or weekly schedule to connect like a sexual couple would. And sometimes you find that attraction starts to flourish again. And that is something, especially when you said the sister, sister, brother, sister thing. And it's yeah. always put as also like a negative in some ways. I don't know, to have that kind of bond with someone, that that intimacy that you didn't have at the beginning. It's also sad to almost disregard that as well. Yeah, that's right. And And they can coexist. You know, that, you know, we can fall into the traps of relating to our sexual partner in very non-sexual ways most of the time. And that can make it really hard to, um, to, to kind of move to a more sexual level. You know, it can make it hard to, to move from uh, seeing them as a flatmate, asking them to buy, buy the milk or whatever, to suddenly wanting to rip their clothes off. So I talk about in the book something which I call sexual currency which is essentially like built, putting a bit of a scaffolding into your day where there are moments of the day that you, yes, you relate to each other about uh, as friends, you talk about getting the milk, but you also have moments in your day where very brief moments where you connect in a way that you only do with them. So, and then you've got a kind of easy scaffolding there to move across to a more sexual uh, connection, uh, to a more sexual place if you want to. And of course, you won't always want to. I am ordering your book immediately. As soon as this <laughs> Do ends, Do I'm it. going on Amazon. <laughs> Let me know what you think of it. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because I think, is it like a bit of a misconception that like your sex life and your relationship should just happen and it should be good and you shouldn't kind of have to work at it? Like, Yes, this is the biggest misconception. <laughs> yeah. People are yeah. going, like, oh, well, if it's meant to be, it'll be. But that is bullshit, isn't it? Right. It, it is absolutely because what other area of your life would you do that? You know, if you think yeah. about uh, your what you eat, what you consume and, and whether it's important to you to stay healthy or not. If you think about your work and whether you have certain ambitions and goals for how you want your work to be, 
if you think about your kind of exercise, if that's something that's important to you, you don't just not do anything and hope that you'll have the ideal, you know, fitness or ideal work life. You kind of have a plan in place of things that you need to do, things you need to keep up. And our sex lives are no different. Part of the reason that a lot of people find themselves in a tricky position with sex or sexually dissatisfied is exactly this. It's a sense that you should never have to work on it and it will just be okay. And working on it doesn't need to be difficult. It's just about having a conversation regularly to say, how are things going? And like, how, how have things been in the last, you know, month or year or whatever? And what have we enjoyed about that? But where do we want it to go next? And Mm -hmm. how can we get there? Because, our sexuality is constantly changing. The things that we want constantly change. Our bodies are constantly changing. And unless we're able to adapt to that and keep finding and discovering new things, it tends to get quite stale, especially with the same person over time, if you're monogamous. You have to do like an appraisal every six months, which I'm into. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) And with all areas of life, you kind of need to do a bit of thinking, reflecting and forward planning if you want it to be as good as it can be. And the great thing about sex is that everyone can have the sex life that they want, no matter how it feels to them right now in their sex life. Everything is possible. Everything is up for grabs. It's just about knowing how to get there. And again, that's it's partly what drove me to write the book because it's so frustrating to me that there's so much information we have in sex research about what keeps sex relation, sexual relationships really good, about what maintains desire, about what increases orgasms. There's so much research, but we just don't know about it because no one tells us. And mm-hmm. so we're just drifting along in our relationships, hoping that sex will continue to be good. And for a lot of people, you know, that happens with little to no effort. But for most people, it requires some kind of effort or thinking to keep it that good. That's really comforting to hear because I think often we can feel like we've fucked up or failed when stuff doesn't go right, but it ain't true. Yeah. No, it's not. And especially because it takes two people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about your, um, you know, your plans with your work ambitions, for example, it's just you and it's only you that has to do it and it's only you that has to put it in place. But Sex is, you know, at least with one other person, sometimes more. And those people also have to be on board with what we want. And we have to be able to communicate about it to make that happen. So that can be why it's a bit trickier. But it's definitely not impossible. I must stress that. (laughs) (laughs) A positive note. Um, Yes. We were just quickly going to ask you some listener questions, if that's okay. But I know you said it's it's super hard because you don't have like the whole context (laughs) Boring. <laughs> That's fine. Boring. Go ahead. Is the ick a real thing? Have you heard of the ick? Yeah, I think it probably is. I've not seen any research into the ick. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. <laughs> but it's a bit like what we were talking about before around attraction. Sometimes our feelings about what we're attracted to, they just kind of change and go. Or sometimes something someone does or says can make that feeling go. And it's very difficult to quantify and it's not necessarily something we're able to change. But I believe it is probably a real thing, yes. Well, if the Love Islanders say it's a real thing, Laura, I don't think anybody's (laughs) questioning them. It must be true. It must. Um, This is one I received on Instagram and it's like 
one that so many people I know and my friends are going through at the moment. So I think it might be quite good to ask you. It's from a cis woman who says she's identified as straight all her life. And she's had dickhead upon dickhead when it comes to boys. And she wants to Mm -hmm. give up on dating. But she's always wanted to experience sex with a girl and only watches girl on girl porn. She says, should I consider dating girls? I've got zero self-confidence and I'm nervous about the thought of starting to speak to girls in that way. Yeah, okay, that's a good question. The, f- the, the quick answer is why not? Um, and probably, <laughs> probably the answer to why not is that we live in a heteronormative society mm-hmm. where being straight is often um, positioned as being best, which of course it isn't, but it's often positioned that way. And the, the travesty here is that there are a lot of people who, um, if we looked at it scientifically, wouldn't fall on either end of the gay and straight continuum. Most people fall somewhere in the middle. And it's just that we live in a society that positions straight as best. That means people often default to heterosexuality in the same way they often default to monogamy, even though we know monogamy isn't necessarily best, but that's a whole new topic. (laughs) It's really sad that she's had such a negative experience with men. And I can see why she feels nervous about trying to connect with women. And there are plenty of good uh, social media sites, websites, organizations that could support her in that and some reading she could do around it as well. Mm -hmm. But I think The reality is, how do you know what works for you until you give it a try? And Mm. I would want to say wholeheartedly, why not? I love that whole spectrum thing. I'm just sitting here like fascinated. You know, I'm really interested in how, um, because people are generally forced to choose in terms of sexuality, you know, it's very, it's, uh, we know there's a lot of biphobia and people who are bi or pansexual, it, it can be a difficult place to be. But then as with all things in life, people like to put people into boxes and um, they shouldn't because boxes aren't great for any of us, but people get encouraged to kind of pick a sexuality earlier on and stick with it. And you know, we know that women's sexuality specifically is fluid and that it can be um, really common for people to identify as um, straight and then identify as a lesbian and then maybe identify as pan. And, you know, people's sexuality changes all the time. But I feel really strongly that a lot of people's sex lives are suffering because they're forced to pick a side that they think is best because of the culture we live in and it's not necessarily the side that works best for them oh i feel like we're gonna have to stop there it's been really good to (laughs) chat to you both i feel like we've um, had a personal one-on-one session as well yeah it's been good from under the duvet thank you so much for your time um no problem karen's book because as i said life changing Thank you. Really appreciate it. And Can you uh, run, yeah. remind us of the name, Karen? So the book is called Mind the Gap, The Truth About Desire and How to Future-Proof Your Sex Lives. And if you want lots of other kind of sex science tidbits, I put lots of them on my Instagram account, which is at the sex doctor. Ooh, following you, buying the book. Give her a follow. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you have a T-shirt. <laughs> I'll get one. I'll get one just for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem. Bye-bye. Bye. That brings us to the end of this episode of Cosmopolitans All The Way With. Huge thank you to Karen for joining us and thanks to you guys for listening and submitting your questions. If you have any more or your dating dilemmas and you want Paisley to answer them, message us on Twitter or Instagram at Cosmopolitan UK. Cosmopolitans All The Way With was recorded by Number 8 Studios and is available to download on Acast, iTunes and all the usual podcast apps. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.